And would you please turn in your Bibles once again to the 10th chapter of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 10. We've been studying through the book of Acts. And I've said before, and I'll say again, chapter 10 is a very important chapter. It contains the inspired record of the gospel coming at last to the Gentiles. We take it so for granted because Gentiles by the millions have come into the kingdom of God over the many, many years. But here is where it began, right here, with the conversion of Cornelius. This morning, I would like us to look at the sermon preached by Peter to the house of Cornelius, and it's found in verses 34 through 43. Now, this is the last sermon of the Apostle Peter that's recorded by Luke in the book of Acts. And, of course, this was by no means the last sermon he ever preached. But what we'll see in the book of Acts is the emphasis is shifting from the Jews primarily to the Apostle Paul and his ministry to the Gentiles. But would you please follow with me as I read beginning in verse 34 and we'll read through 43. Then Peter opening his mouth and said, In truth, I believe that God shows no partiality. But in every nation who fears Him and works righteousness is accepted by Him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, He is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. And we are witnesses of all these things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed Him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with Him after He rose from the dead. And He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that this is He who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. Just to remind you of the setting of this sermon, the Apostle Peter was summoned by God to the city of Caesarea. He was about 30 miles away in the town of Joppa. He summoned to the house of a Gentile by the name of Cornelius, a Roman centurion. Now, four days earlier, this man had received a heavenly visitor who told him to send some men to the town of Joppa where he could find Simon Peter. And meanwhile, God also came to Peter and told him that he was to go with these men. 
Now, that was going to be a problem for Peter because he was a devout Jew. And he could not keep company with or go into the house of another one of another nation. And he believed and was taught that he would become defiled and ceremonially unclean, unfit for the worship of God. And this is why God prepared Peter by giving him this vision, the vision of a sheep being lowered to the ground from heaven with all kinds of animals, ceremonially clean and unclean animals. And then a voice came to him and said, Rise, Peter, take and eat. And his quick response was, Not so, Lord. I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him a second time saying, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. Now, Peter wasn't sure at first what to make of this vision, but he began to think about it and ponder on it. And by the time he gets to Cornelius' house, it began to dawn on him that the real message wasn't so much about what he could eat or not eat. It was about people. It was about Gentiles. It was about whom he could associate with. And even more importantly, it had to do with those whom God accepts. When Peter arrives, he was met by Cornelius, who was eagerly waiting for him. He had invited family and friends to his house to hear this message from God. And he believed it was going to be a message from God. It would be given through the Apostle Peter, but a message from God nonetheless. Now, a couple of messages ago, I, I addressed a question. Was Cornelius already saved before Peter came to him? He's spoken of as a God-fearing man. He's spoken of a devout man. He, he gave alms. He, his prayers and his almsgiving were accepted by God. He was told that by an angel. It wasn't just his own idea. It was accepted by God. Well, I said that I believe that he was a believer like a Jewish believer before the coming of Christ. Uh, he had accepted the Jewish faith or the Jewish God and many things about the Jewish religion. He had not been circumcised. He had not accepted all of the ceremonial things that they had to do but he did believe in the one true and living God. Well, since I gave that message, I've read and heard some very good arguments that he was not a saved man. Uh, that, uh, that, he would, uh, that had he died before hearing the gospel, he would have perished. Well, being a, a God-fearing man meant more than believing in one God or just a monotheistic philosophy, it meant that you believed in Yahweh, the God of Israel, the God of Revelation, the God of the Old Testament. And believing in the God of Israel meant that you believed in His promise of a coming Messiah. Now, did or does believing in a coming Messiah save you? Well, I would say all of Israel was looking for this coming Messiah, and yet they weren't all saved, were they? Many years ago, I heard Paul Crouch. I don't know if you remember that name, but he was the the uh, founder of Trinity Broadcast Network, a, a Christian 
broadcast network, and I, I use that term very loosely, but uh, it was a Christian broadcasting network. And he once had a guest on his program from Israel's Ministry of Tourism. Now, Israel loves tourists. <laughs> That's a big part of their, their, their trade is tourism. And they love that Christians want to go to the Holy Land to see where Jesus walked and all of that. Well, as Mr. Crouch introduced him, he put his arm around him, and I believe uh, he, he called him a brother. But he said something like this. He says, you know, we really believe the same thing. We both believe in the Christ or the Messiah. You just believe and are waiting for the Messiah to come. And we just believe that he's already come. So we really do believe the same thing. Now he was trying to show their similarities and that they were really not so far apart after all. In reality, though, he was actually showing just how far apart they are. And we are. Yes, the Jewish people were and are waiting for the Messiah to come. The message of the Gospels and the New Testament, though, is that He has indeed come. The sad and very, very sad fact is that they, the Jewish people, for the most part, have rejected Him as the Messiah. They have rejected Jesus as the Christ. Now, if they're still waiting... Does that mean they're saved? Well, no, of course not. He came and they said no. Uh, This is what John says, that he came unto his own, that is to his own Jewish brothers and sisters, and those who were his own did not receive him. Jesus said to one of the Pharisees, he said, if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Believing in a coming Messiah, but rejecting the Messiah that came is not salvation. John tells us that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. He came to His own and His own people, the Jewish nation, did not receive Him. But as many as did receive Him, to them, and the emphasis is very strong there, to them He gave the right to become the children of God. Those that didn't receive Him, they weren't the children of God. In fact, Jesus goes on to say that you, though you have Abraham as your father and your descendants of Abraham, you are of your father the devil. This really was the message that went out everywhere. Beginning with the Messiah's forerunner, John the Baptist, which Peter will talk about and we'll talk about in this as we look at his message here. But... He says this one, John said this one is coming after me whose thong of his sandal I am not worthy to unloose. And so when he sees Jesus approaching him while he's baptizing these people, he says very clearly, points to him and says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He has indeed come. You remember when. Jesus met the woman at the well, that Samaritan woman at the well. And as they were discussing things, and she said, I know that the Messiah is coming. You see, she had this belief. Even the Samaritans were looking forward to the Messiah who is coming. I know that the Messiah is coming who is called Christ. And when He comes, He will tell us all things. 
And Jesus said to her, I, I who speak to you am he. I who speak to you am he. Now, what if she said, oh, I don't think so. Uh, I'm going to keep waiting. <laughs> I'm going to keep waiting. Now, would she be saved? No, her faith was not a saving faith. But then there were others like Simeon. Remember Simeon when Christ was born and they brought the baby Jesus to the temple. And Simeon, who had been waiting for the consolation of Israel, he'd been waiting for this Messiah to come. And he takes the babe up in his arms and he blesses God and thanks him. Mine eyes have seen your salvation. Now let your servant depart in peace. And so he received him. When he was presented to him, he received him. Now, Cornelius, though he was not a Jew, but a God-fearer, he was waiting for the coming Messiah. He's heard some things about Jesus, as we'll see in the sermon. Peter was sent by God to tell him that this Jesus, of whom he had heard so much, is indeed the Christ. And what Peter is doing here, he's taking all the pieces and putting them together. He's heard this and he's heard that and uh, about Jesus, but now Peter is bringing it all together. Now, I still haven't come to the answer. Was he a Christian or was he, a, was he saved before? Did he have that saving faith looking forward to the coming Messiah? And had Peter never come, would he be saved? I don't know. But I do know this, that when he was presented with Jesus as the Messiah, he embraced him. He welcomed him. And so he was saved by the end of this chapter. We see that he was saved anyway. So I don't know if he was or not. But here's Peter's going to this house of this Gentile. Now imagine preaching to someone or to a group of people who have never heard the first thing at all about Jesus Christ know very little about God. They have some kind of an awareness of God because the Bible says so and that the heavens declare the glory of God and so forth. But never have to heard about Christ. Where would you begin? How would you start talking to them about Him? That would be quite challenging, wouldn't it? Well, those to whom Peter was about to speak had already heard some things about Him. Uh, maybe a great deal. There was so much being said about him, and and we read about his fame was was just going everywhere. It was spreading all over the land, and Caesarea is right there in Palestine. So it's not off in some far distant land or nation. It's right there within Palestine. So Peter was able to tap in to what they already knew. And in presenting the gospel to Cornelius and his family, he recounts the life and ministry, the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, he's taking him the gospel in, John, in, in chapter 15, as he's reporting to the church council there in Jerusalem. He said, God had chosen that by me, the Gentiles would hear the gospel. And that's what we have here. This is the gospel being preached to Cornelius and to the Gentiles. But you see, the gospel is about Jesus. It's about him, his person, his work. The gospel is not about you. 
or about how you feel or even about how good you feel since you became a Christian and how many things it helped you to understand after that. Well, that's all good. And, and when the gospel comes, it does all kinds of things. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. But talking about being a new creation is not the gospel itself. The gospel is about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. All about Him. Who He is and what He has done. And what I want to do in looking at this sermon is just to go through it. Verse by verse. Let's just look through it and, and make a few comments. I, I tried my best to figure out a way to outline it. and uh, He didn't go to the same seminary I went to. so I, I, It didn't just doesn't come out. <laughs> I struggled with it, but I'm just going to let's just go through it the way he's got it. And we'll see what he tells them and what a difference it made in their lives. Let's look. We're going to begin in verse 36. Last week, I dealt with verses 34 and 35, which are very important. Uh, I'll just read those again. He says, he opened his mouth and said, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. Well, he had to have known that before, because that's all through the Old Testament. God is an impartial God. And He warns against impartiality. He warns against showing favoritism. And we shouldn't show it in our families. We shouldn't show it in the church. We should abhor favoritism or partiality. Verse 35, though, is, is a bit confusing. It says, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. Now, some have taken that verse and run with it. And they said, well, look, this shows that no matter what you believe, even if you've never heard of Jesus, you can be saved. These nations, if they're sincere, someone in that nation is sincere in what they believe, they're saved. Well, that goes against everything else we read in the Bible, including the words of Peter in other places. You remember what he said, that there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. He heard the Lord Jesus Himself say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. That was the reason He sent them out to go into all the world and preach the Gospel. Many years ago, I was very young in the ministry, but I met a pastor who was uh, trying to talk to me about, let's join our congregations together. Ours is small, his is small. Let's join together. And I said, well, we kind of have to find out if we're on the same page, don't we? He said, oh, it's all the same, isn't it? We're all the same. And as I got talking with him, he had to show me a map in his church of all the missionaries they support all over the world. And, and then as we got talking became very clear that he was a universalist. That he believed that anyone, no matter what, if you, if you bow down to statues, if you, if you worship Buddha or whatever, you're saved. And I, I said, well, why would you send all these missionaries everywhere if everybody's already saved? We send missionaries because they're not saved. And sincerity doesn't save you. And that's not what Peter is saying. He's really trying to exemplify that God shows no partiality. You come to Him, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, in true faith, you will be accepted by Him. It says, He who fears Him. Fearing God begins with His Word. Remember what Isaiah says, or God says through Isaiah, to this one I will look, to Him who is humble and of a contrite heart, 
and who trembles at my word. They hear the word of God. They believe it. They believe the commandments are right. They believe the promises are true and sure. And so Cornelius, believing these promises of God, was saved and accepted by God, even though he was outside the pale of Judaism. He was a foreigner. He was a stranger to the covenants. And yet, even a man like this would be received by God, welcomed by Him. Paul says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter the color of your skin, the size of your bank account. It doesn't matter. God receives all who come to Him in faith. But let's move on, though. Uh, he goes on to say in verse 36, he says, the word which was sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. Now, Peter reminds Cornelius and those with him of the word which God sent to the children of Israel. Now, he could be here speaking of that word that was sent to the children of Israel through the Old Testament prophets. But it was sent to them first the Word of God. And then when Christ came, He came first to the Jews. He sent His disciples out first to preach the message of the Gospel to the Jews. That word that He's referring to here was the Gospel. The good news of salvation through Christ. He speaks of the Gospel as preaching peace through Jesus Christ. When the angels appeared to the shepherds abiding in the field, the birth of Christ, they announced His birth with this grand proclamation. Peace through Christ. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. The Apostle Paul called his ministry of preaching a ministry of reconciliation or a ministry of peace because that's what that's what we're doing when we're telling men and women and boys and girls about the Gospel. We're trying to show them how they can be at peace with God. Our natural and sinful condition is the very opposite of that. We're not only alienated from Him, we are by nature God's enemies. Now, people often will recoil at a thought like that. I'm not an enemy of God. I love God. I don't think about him. I don't care what he says, but I love him. Paul describes the natural mind as being at enmity with God. How? He explains, this is in Romans chapter 8. He says, for this natural mind that is at enmity with God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. They don't want to submit to God. They don't want to bow to His authority. They want to go their own way. They want to do their own thing. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to His own way. That's a description of sin. Not being subject to God's law. We think of sin but lightly, but it's actually a transgression of God's law. And children, even when you disobey your mom and dad, you are ultimately disobeying God. You're saying not only no to your mom and dad, you're saying no to God. Now, that's treason. 
God has made you. He has taken care of you. He is your creator, your lawgiver, and your judge. And for you to shake your fist at him and say, no, that's treason. That's, that's enmity. It's a transgression. Paul says this in Colossians chapter 1, speaking to those who were primarily Gentiles. He said, you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. You're an enemy with God. He's not your friend. He's your enemy. You don't like Him. And He's angry with you because of your sin. The wrath of God. That's His, his anger. His holy is His just anger reacting against our sinfulness. And so we got a problem. And it's a big problem. But Paul or, or Peter here speaks of the, of the Gospel as peace. Preaching peace through Jesus Christ because it only comes through Him. You can't make peace with God any other way. Some people think they can make peace with God saying, okay, I won't do it anymore. (laughs) Yes, I've been rebelling. I've been transgressing Your law, but I'm going to stop. Well, you know why that won't work? There's a lot of reasons why it won't work. (laughs) One is you're not going to stop. You're going to keep rebelling. You're going to keep sinning. You're going to keep building that pile of debt up to God. But also, what makes you think that just stopping something is going to pay for what you've already done? Sin has a wage. that It deserves something. The wages of sin is death. God told Adam and Eve, in the day you eat thereof, of that fruit of the tree, you will surely die. Had they said, well, we'll never do it again. Well, that doesn't make up for what you've already done. You've got a problem. And it's a sin problem. You're not recon- you can't reconcile yourself to God. You say, well, I'll go out and do a bunch of good works and I'll give to the poor and I'll, I'll do all of these things and that'll, that'll change it. No, it won't change it. But this is what will change it. It will give you peace with God. Perfect peace. A peace that, that the world can't take away. It's through the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who reconciles us to Himself. That's what Paul speaks of in, in, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, this ministry of reconciliation, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. God does the reconciling. You can't do it. All you can do is receive it. And that's the message that Peter is speaking to Cornelius and those gathered there. Peace comes only through the Lord Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 2, and there Paul is speaking primarily here about the Gentiles. He says, He Himself is our peace. Jesus is our peace. He's speaking to those who were once far off and you've been brought near. Those who are far off, that's the Gentiles. You've been brought near because Jesus is our peace. And then Peter adds this in interjection. He says, He is Lord of all. Now that says so much, and, and I don't have time to say much at all, but it says so much. In this context, though, it certainly points to the fact that Jesus is Lord not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. 
when they put that sign above the cross, King of the Jews. Yes, King of the Jews, but He is Lord of all. And Peter is recognizing that. He's not just the Jewish Messiah. He is the Messiah for the world. And then verse 37, he goes on to say that that word you know. So here's where he's acknowledged. You've heard about this. This isn't something new. Uh, I don't have to go back to the birth. You know these things. You know which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. And so... Matthew tells us that that the fame of Jesus went throughout all Syria. And Mark says something similar, that his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. Everybody was talking about him. For for Cornelius not to have heard something about Jesus would have been hard to believe. Um, So Peter's acknowledging, you've heard these things. And then he mentions John the Baptist here, beginning with John the Baptist. Well, he was the forerunner of the Messiah, prophesied in the Old Testament scriptures that he would send his forerunner who would prepare the way for the Lord. And this is John's own testimony. When he saw Jesus coming, he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is him. I came baptizing with water, but he will baptize with the Holy Spirit. In every way, John was pointing that this is Him. You've been waiting for the Messiah. Here He is, right in front of us. John said he bore witness saying, I saw the Spirit descending like, from heaven like a dove and remained on Him. Upon whom you see the Spirit descending, he was told, and remaining on Him, this is He who baptizes with the Spirit. And, and so John says, I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. So Cornelius and his family, if they've been waiting for the Messiah, Peter is there to tell them He is here. This is Him. It's interesting, right after Jesus' baptism, we have the, the, the calling and, and uh, conversion, if you will, of, of some of these early disciples. When Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, he found his brother Simon. And he said, we have found the Messiah. He's here. This is Him. And so he brought him to Jesus. And the following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee and he found Philip. And he said, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, it says in John's Gospel. And he, uh, Philip found Nathaniel. And he said, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Jesus was amazed. He said to, to him, he said, because I said, I saw you under the fig tree. I left that part out, but I saw you under the fig tree. Now you believe you will see greater signs than these. Greater signs. Now, that's very key also to what he says here in the next verse, uh, Peter, in verse 38. And he goes on to say how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. You see, God had anointed Jesus 
He had anointed him, and it was seen in the power that he possessed to do these miracles. I think this is very important. It was very important for those early disciples. It was very important for Cornelius and these others to hear. You see, when Christ came into the world, he did not simply announce, I am the Christ, believe in me. He didn't say that. He did say that, but that's not all he did. He didn't say, I am the Christ, believe in me, and you either believe in me or you don't. His claims were accompanied by wonder-working signs, which Peter here speaks of. God anointed him. And he went out and he healed all kinds of diseases. That healing was done for their good. And what a blessing it must have been for for someone who was lame to walk again or blind to see again. But the most important thing about those signs is they validated that He was indeed the Christ. In verse 39, Peter goes on to say, and we are witnesses of all things which He did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. These disciples whom Jesus called that they would be with Him wherever He went, day and night, 24-7, they were with Him. And they saw what He did. They saw every miracle. They saw everything He said, heard everything He said. They, did, they heard it all. They, they saw it all. And they were witnesses. The testimony of the apostles cannot be overstated. They were eyewitnesses. John says we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. They saw His miracles day and night. They saw His deeds of kindness. That He went about doing good. And then Peter says, whom they killed. Why? (laughs) Why? He was holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and yet they killed Him. He adds the method by which he he was put to death. Notice it says they killed him uh, in verse verse 39. They killed him by hanging on a tree. The method was hanging him on a tree. Well, of course, a cross is made out of a tree and you could call it a tree if, if you like. But it's more than that. And and even these Gentiles who must have known some of the Scriptures and maybe they knew this. And maybe Peter just developed this more than he does right here. This was not his entire sermon. um, Less than two minutes long. But, But he says, this method by hanging him on a tree. Guy Waters in his commentary said, this way of speaking of Jesus' death highlights the fact that Jesus' death was shameful, penal, and accursed. And he derives that from the Old Testament Scripture, Deuteronomy 21, verse 22 and 23, where it speaks there about everyone who is hanged on a tree is accursed of God. Accursed of God. Speaking of what you're to do with those murderers and those who deserve death, You hang them on a tree and that shows they are accursed by God. And that's the very point that Paul makes 
in Galatians chapter 3. Christ, he says, has redeemed us from the curse of the law. We're under the curse. Why? Because of our sins. Because we've broken the law of God. Cursed we are. But it says he redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, he's quoting Deuteronomy 21, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessings of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. You see, he died, he became a curse, not just for the Jews who would follow him, but also for the Gentiles as well. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2 that he himself bore our sins in his own body on a tree that we having died to sins might live for righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. And look at verses 40 and 41. So we can't stop there. If we stop there, it doesn't make sense. Verse 40 and 41, Him God raised up on the third day and showed Him openly, not to all the people, but to the witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with Him after He rose from the dead. The Gospel is not complete without the resurrection. You can talk about all the good things Jesus did, the miracles He performed, and how they killed Him. But if that's the end of the story, there is no story. There is no good news. You see, the resurrection validates finally and forever everything about Jesus, everything about His person, who He was, who He said He was, about His work, what He did. And notice Peter is very specific on the third day. Raised Him up on the third day according to the Scriptures, Paul says. It was open. He showed Himself openly. He wasn't hidden in a corner. Then he says, but not to all, but to those He had chosen. And Paul goes on to speak of those whom He had chosen. And it wasn't just a couple. It was His disciples. It was Mary and and uh, and the other Mary and and, and all the apostles and and also by 500 brethren at one time. It was real. He actually rose bodily from the grave. Some liberal theologians tried to say, well, it's, it was just a spiritual resurrection. No, it was a bodily resurrection. It wasn't He just now lives in our hearts and is with us all the time in our thoughts. No, He actually rose from the dead bodily. Peter speaks about eating and drinking with Him. We were there. John says our hands handled the Word of life. He told Thomas to take your hand and put it right here and touch and see. A spirit doesn't have flesh and bones. He actually rose from the dead. It wasn't some apparition or hallucination. He rose from the dead. And that's why they preach so boldly. And that's why they're called witnesses of His resurrection. Eyewitnesses. The apostles had to see Him with their own eyes. The risen Christ. And that's why we have the words of the apostles inscripturated for us. 
We don't have to have an apostle come and preach to each one of us and show, I saw him, I saw him. We have the words inscripturated for their better preservation so the story doesn't keep changing. It's the same story, the same witnesses. For the better propagation of the gospel. We don't have to wait for some apostle to come to tell someone the gospel. We can read their words right here, their testimonies. We were eyewitnesses. Verse 42, He commanded us to preach to the people to testify that it is He who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. Again, the importance of the apostles' witness. He commanded us to preach and to testify. What? That He is the one. He is the one ordained by God. He's not just some Bible teacher that's come up out of the uh, out of the crowd and, and claims to be somebody. This is the one. This is the real deal. He is the Christ. That's what Cornelius needed to hear. We don't know what Cornelius was praying there when he was praying to God and, and the vision came to him. Maybe he was praying, Lord, show me. What is this about? I've heard so much about this one that claims to be the one. And then the angel comes and says, Send for Peter. He'll tell you everything you need to know. And this is what Peter tells him. He is the one. He is the Christ. Don't be watching for another. He's the one. He has come. And He has come not just to save the Jews. He's come to save all who will call upon Him. He was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. How often... Do you hear Jesus described this way? The judge of the living and the dead. (laughs) That's what Paul says in Acts chapter 17 there in Athens to those pagans. He says very clearly, God commands all men everywhere to repent because He has appointed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom He has ordained. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. God has ordained Him to be the judge of the living and the dead. And Paul goes on to say, and He's given assurance. How? By raising Him from the dead. The resurrection proves that everything Jesus said was true, but it also says that there's coming a day of judgment and the resurrection proves it. Judge of the living and the dead. No one will escape this judgment. All will stand in judgment in the, before the judgment seat of Christ, both Jews and Gentiles. Paul's whole point in the beginning of Romans was to show that the, the Jews are, the Gentiles are guilty before God. So are the Jews. And they're all going to stand in judgment. On that great day, He will either be your Savior or your judge. Depending on what you do with Him now. There's only one Gospel and that one Gospel is for all men. The Gospel is about the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. What He has done. He has established peace through His death. He reconciles us to God. He became a curse for us. 
Cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree. That should have been us. Instead, He took the curse. He was cursed for us so that the curse we have on us might be removed so that we can stand before Him faultless before the throne of God. To have His perfect righteousness. He went about doing good. Oh, all of His righteousness is now charged to us. We stand complete before Him in in judgment. We can only be reconciled to God if our sins have been dealt with. And our sins have only been dealt with through Christ or you will deal with them in judgment. That's why you must believe on Him. And that's what He goes on to say at the very end. What a precious ending. Although it was an abrupt ending. I don't think He meant to end, but it's a perfect ending. To Him all the prophets witness. Verse 43. That through His name, whoever believes in Him will receive remission of sins. It's through faith in Him. It's not you have to go out and be a perfect person and then you'll have your sins forgiven. No, that's a work salvation. No, it's all of grace. Whoever believes in Him will have their sins forgiven. Will receive remission of sins. They are remitted. They are canceled. The debt has canceled. No matter how high your debt is, it's canceled if you come to Him and believe in Him. What a message. This is what Cornelius and his household, they all needed it. Every single one, from the youngest to the oldest, they needed this message. And you and I need this message. We need it daily. We need it every day of our lives. It's not something you just get done with and you're done with it and you leave it alone, never think about it again. This is something that should be before your mind and before your heart at all times. Tonight we're going to look at that in our prayer time. How we as Christians need the Gospel continually. Do you know Christ? Have you received Him? Or are you saying no to Him? Not now. Not this time in my life. I'm not ready for this. I don't want it. Why do I need it? I'm not one of those kind of people. Rescue mission people. I'm not somebody like that. I'm pretty good. Well, you think you're going to get to heaven on your goodness? It won't work. The Bible says everywhere, declares everywhere, by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in His sight. The psalmist says, O Lord, if You mark iniquities, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with Thee that You may be feared. I believe Cornelius received him and trusted him. This is what he was waiting for. He was looking at the shadows and and now he sees the substance. And he embraces it from the heart. And we'll look next time at the result. What happened? What a glorious time. He receives the Holy Spirit and is welcomed into the church of the living God. One new man. We'll look at that at another time. But let's, let's close in prayer.